you have your Bibles with you, turn with me. We'll be looking at 1 Corinthians 15 today. We've made our way through this really remarkable letter, and we're at a really amazing, fun, and important part of our Christian faith. And I don't know about you. I mean, I know that for me, over time, I've been a Christian for many, many years, and sometimes, I don't need to make this the confessional booth or anything, but sometimes it gets a little cold. Not, not, not in the sense that I don't believe it, not in the sense of that, but, but my Christianity becomes something that, that isn't necessarily very exciting, that isn't touching my life in a way that I'm like, wow, this is so amazing, because I live a daily life. I have ups and downs, and I have stresses, and things come in, and we have different things that happen to us. And, but partly, I think, sometimes because I forget, I'm a forgetter, of some of the most central, important things about my faith. It's a bit like how I think about America. You know, I think about George Washington. I don't know if you remember George Washington. Most of us have never met him. Hopefully nobody. (laughs) But I believe in him. I believe he existed and he helped found our country and he did all these amazing things. And our great democracy that we're on is because of George Washington. George Washington becomes an important historical figure for me as I think about the freedom of our country and the wonderful constitutional democracy we have. Really good. But I don't have a visceral connection to George Washington. He's just sort of somebody I honor and I think about and I think, yeah, that's true. And he did it. And sometimes I feel like our focus on the wonder and the importance of the cross can become that. Because, you know, the cross of Jesus Christ, we gather around it, right? It's the most amazing event in history. It is an event in history. It happened, and it's done. Jesus paid it all. It's something I hold, cherish in my heart. And yet it's an event that I think about in the past. It's over. And so I can, I can accept it and then I go on with real living, you know, because real living is daily and that's what I'm doing and that event in the past affects me, but it doesn't connect me sometimes. It does. We do all, we sing the old rugged cross. We sing, oh, the wonderful cross. We, we bring it out and it's important. We, we grab hold of justification, the very central doctrine of our faith and it's because it's because of what Jesus did. We see it through the eyes of propitiation, the, 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 the payment for sin that Jesus did for us. But I wonder if seeing the cross as an event and seeing our salvation as an event sometimes pulls away from one of the most important parts of salvation about our salvation story that you and I have. And that's, you know it's coming because you know it's 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection. I feel like most of us, because the resurrection's kind of a little on the strange side, we believe it, but we tend to put it again in the historical event. I want us today to think about it, to live in light of it, not to overlook it, to believe it and live in the resurrection. And and not only the resurrection of Christ, but what that means for the hope of us. What that means actually for how we're going to live our lives because of what's here that Paul writes about, about the resurrection. It's a fantastic chapter. We, We... it's a really long chapter. I can't do it all this morning, but we're going to dive in. You got to have your Bibles or you got to read fast on the screen because we're going to take his argument and I want to push it into your heart. You might have this amazing wonder that you start to see that your life is about future hope. 
because Jesus is alive. So come with me. First, you got to believe it, right? you got to believe there was actually a resurrection. And Paul starts, and he wants to make sure they believe it. Chapter 15, verse 1, here we go. Paul writes this, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So, so I want to take a moment, Paul writes, right, and just focus in on the gospel. You know, the good news that you heard. That, I'm, this happens so often. Uh, I ask somebody, hey, hey, what's the gospel? And there's this pause. It's like we don't really know. Paul's like, no, 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 I want you to know. This is what you're standing on, this good news, right? It's that we who are... Let me do it this way. The answer I get a lot of times is say, well, what's the gospel? Well, it's something that I, um, I'm a sinner, and, and if I repent, then, then, then Jesus will save me. And that's kind of okay, except that's not the gospel, right? The gospel is an announcement of good news. It's just an announcement. It has nothing to do with you, the announcement. You need to know in what you stand. You stand on no other thing by which you're being saved. And so these doubts and fears come and have I repented enough if you think the gospel is about what I've done. This gospel is nothing of you and me. No action on our part except except to believe it, to hold fast to the word preached to you. What is it? That Christ Jesus was crucified and died and was raised. So, so to believe in vain, which is what he's concerned they're going to do, would be to let go of the actual announcement of Jesus. And it's not only that he died on a cross. It's not that alone. It's more. It's the whole thing. And especially to Paul, the resurrection. Because look what he says. For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. <laughs> you see, and he's using the official term for Jesus, which is Christ, which is Messiah, the Savior that had been promised in ages past he came. And this is, this is Sunday school stuff. So a lot of us, we start to glaze right away. But he says, no, this is the actual message, right? That he, he died for our sins. He was buried. He really died. And then he rose from the dead. This rising from the dead is particularly important, not just because it shows that he paid it all. You know, usually that's what you hear. Why was the resurrection so important? Well, it shows that the sacrifice was enough, that, that, that he rose because he did pay it all, and it's finished, and, and there it is. It's also because he rose and didn't leave. Right, He rose and he appeared to those who would testify to this incredible truth of the resurrection. I mean, look, that's where he's going. Look what he says. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's the name for Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and, and then to all the apostles. Last, as to one untimely born, he, he appeared also to me. You see what he's doing? 
He's listing out the apostles. The apostolic ministry, the sent ones, the ones who testify and are eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus. So there's Peter and the rest of the 12, check. And then these 500 all at once, perhaps they've, perhaps even the, perhaps even the Corinthian church has heard from some of these witnesses. Some of them are still alive. They may have passed through. Then James, who's called an apostle in Galatians, he was the head of the church at Jerusalem. He was Jesus's brother. And then, and, and then finally, to Paul. This is important. Why is it important? You see, the reason I have the message of Jesus Christ is that Jesus didn't just go back to heaven. He appeared to Paul. He talked to Paul. And the stuff that he told Paul forms the basis for this book that I call the Bible. If Jesus wasn't resurrected, there's no message to the Gentiles. There's Paul, and Paul says, hey, I'm just an unworthy recipient of grace. That's what he calls himself. But We didn't read the end there of verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. He worked really hard because he wanted other people to hear about the good news. The news that Jesus died for your sin, that Jesus lives now, the grace that Jesus has done it, and he lives. This is really the center of our faith, right? What you and I are believing. If we don't believe this, we're not Christians. Jesus died, he went to the grave, he rose from the dead. And this is, I believe, why Paul gives this formal evidence, this heavy emphasis on the apostles, because they were eyewitnesses to the living Christ. And by the living Christ, I mean the one who rose from the dead. This one doctrine is the center of our faith, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This renewing of the mind that Paul talks about later in Romans is the belief that this is true and it transforms us and not just in terms of believing something miraculous and special, but in terms of how it changes the framework of our lives. We live in light of the resurrection. Jesus' death on the cross is payment for our sin. He died for us. But if that's all that happened, you're going to have a very different framework for your life than if you say, yeah, I believe in the resurrection. Paul's all about this, and the gospel, here it is. And some evidently were teaching that the resurrection of the dead wasn't important, that it wasn't the critical thing. And honestly, they were, they were acting like some of us act. You know what's really important is the moral, ethical life that you lead. That's the most important thing for you. Believe in Jesus, he was a great, wonderful, amazing teacher. Fantastic, amazing example. You need to live a moral life. That's the thing. You need to make sure we we do our very best to build up and make this world as good as it can be. That's our goal. And and you see, they they were starting to do some of those things. That was creeping in. Paul comes along and says, wait, wait a minute. You do realize that the center of our faith is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. 
And if he rose from the dead, what does it mean for you? Because it's not just believing in the resurrection like it happened like some event. Again, putting that in the time and space continuum, the historical event that Jesus rose from the dead. It's that he lives now and it means something for you. Life in the resurrection. Christian living in the resurrection. This is where he goes. This is where he wants you to see. First, you got to believe it. you got to have the historical proof. you got to say, yeah, I, I've entered into that. I, I do believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead. If your belief is there, and that's my confession to you, and that's the testimony of Paul, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. If it's true, what's the framework? Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So evidently, right, there are those who are saying there's no such thing as the resurrection. Life is all about what you do here. Kingdom now, not later. You've been forgiven, get to work. Rebuild. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. You see, it's so important to me. Jesus Christ is right. He was fully human. He died and rose. This is our central concept of faith, and it connects intimately with your future. You also. Hey, we believe Jesus rose from the dead, right? So, so how could you even say this? Because if you say there's no resurrection of the dead, Jesus wasn't even raised. And, and if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Because you know, Paul says, I met with him. <laughs> He talked to me. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he didn't raise, if it's true the dead are not raised. Paul's making a pretty strong argument, but we kind of nod and we go along and we say, yeah, 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 I believe that, so you keep going. But he's saying, no, this is so important. You have to understand, you are raised from the dead. People. Us. If you say there isn't a resurrection, then I'm a liar, says Paul. And all this stuff I've been telling you about the good news, it's a lie because I received it from the lips of a living Jesus Christ. For if the dead are not raised, then even Christ, not even Christ, has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So if Jesus died for the sins of the world and wasn't raised, then your faith is futile, Paul says, because you're trusting in his witness for you now. You're trusting he exists to intercede for you now. But if he's dead, he didn't. He isn't. He won't. If Jesus was a really good man and he became a sacrifice for sin and then he was sacrificed and died and that's all there is, then what about after his sacrifice, right? It'd be like, it'd be, <laughs> this is the argument of Hebrews, it's the same thing. He basically says, okay, Jesus came and he died for the sins of the world. So all the sins of the world up until Jesus were paid for. But what about sin now? What about your sin? Why well, I get saved from my sin by just believing in a, in, in, in a, posthumous kind of historical event. No, says Paul. 
He didn't just die for the sin of people up to his death. And now your sin isn't covered. Your faith isn't in some dead person. That's not going to save you. And, and, and besides that, Paul says, on all those who died, man, then they'd just be done. I mean, if Jesus died to conquer death, but then people died, then they're gone. If, if we have only hope in this life, with all the centrality of the resurrection, we're pitiful. Wouldn't necessarily know that looking around the American church. We're pretty well put together. We do lots of good works. We have nice, wealthy churches where we put forth an, an, an aura of success. We, we go right along with, um, with the idea that really it's about building up stuff now. Leave a legacy. Not so actual Christianity, says Paul. This ragtag group of losers, a bunch of people saying their hope is not in their own work, not in, not, not in themselves, but in the work of Jesus, that their sin is covered just because Jesus says so, that, that God loves us even though we don't sacrifice ourselves or pay homage. homage. We, we don't work to be our best life now. But, but if all there is is life now, then your best life now is pretty good. <laughs> That's what you should be working on. If life is about building up the here and now, then all this talk about the gospel and resurrection, it's, it's either unserious and you're to be pitied and it's nothing, or there's got to be a way that we tie, you see, the things we do now to eternity. So there's got to be things so we have this, this strong, and therefore you get this doctrine of rewards that is essentially, man, it's all up to you how much you do, and because you can take something with you. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying the gospel is about your death and then your life. This life that we're in right now, it ends in death, but that there's life afterwards. That's what resurrection means. This incredibly important how we think of our, can I say our death life? Our life before the resurrection? The life I'm living now? The truth is, right, the very truth is that Jesus has been raised from the dead. That's the truth. In fact, he says, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's not saying that as a proof text that you might believe Jesus rose. He's saying it as the first fruits. See it? As the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I'm telling you, Jesus rose from the dead. Why is it so important? Because he's the first of many. First fruits can mean the best, can mean the primary, but it also has the idea of he's the first and there's those that will follow. Jesus' saving is a saving through death, a saving by being resurrected physically from the dead. For, he says, as by a man came death, so by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. This is a central thing about what Jesus did. He's going to resurrect the dead. For as in Adam, all die. This is, where, this is where our death came from, right? Sin entered in, and now we all sin, so we all die. We can't make it. We're not good enough. Death reigns. And, and yet here comes the plan of God in salvation, and it's Jesus. And it says, so, so in Christ, all shall be made alive. 
but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. This is such a deep, amazing, shocking truth that we just sort of say, okay, I get it, let's go on. But this is the message of the gospel that will be made alive after death. He's not talking about life now. We go through death first. When the Bible talks about being made alive, and we have been, it's by a promise that's so sure that we talk about it as happening. We saw it earlier in 1 Peter. It says, you've been, been born again. And we stop right there. But he didn't stop right there. It's a phrase. Born again to a living hope. What's my living hope? The resurrection from the dead. I'm living my whole life in the hope that I'm going to be raised from the dead. And it's so sure because it's the promise of God and my faith in Christ that, that I can be considered alive now. And, and in some sense, I am because I'm in Christ and the Holy Spirit has started his work. But what Paul's after is that it's about resurrection. The reality that God will exercise the same power that he exercised on Jesus, he will exercise on us. That's Ephesians 2. It's the center of what we believe. Death in Adam, we sin and so we die. Life in Christ will be made alive in the future, right? That's when Christ returns. Because that's what he says. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. He's talking about the final day and it's all the action of Jesus. He reigns, he rules, he delivers, he destroys because he has to reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. But all his enemies aren't quite done. What? He died on a cross. Everything's done. Not so, says Paul. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his foot. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is not destroyed. Why not? You die. I believe in Jesus, and I'm going to, unless he comes back and he might come back today, don't get me wrong. I hope he does. But if he doesn't, guess what's going to happen to me? Guess what's going to happen to you? Guess what happened last week to John Norgard? He passed away. He's dead. His, his race is through. I've got a hope for him because I know his testimony that he will be raised that's remarkable it says for God has put all things in subjection under his feet but when it says all things are put in subjection it's plain that he's accepted who put all things and subjected under him this is a reference mostly people think to Psalm 8 it talks about the king and the, the, the son they should bow to the sun and kiss his feet, lest he become angry. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. What Paul is doing is he's making it very clear. He's not putting Jesus the Son economically over God the Father. He's saying, no, 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 they're one. And, and this whole plan of God in the kingdom is the resurrection of the dead that's overseen by Jesus. And then this whole kingdom presented to God the Father. There's an order to it, he says. Very Trinitarian thought. It all depends on Jesus 
and on the, therefore, resurrection of the dead. It, it, it should shape us. It affects our behavior. Look, we live in light of it. He gives a few examples for us. He says, otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead aren't raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? It's kind of a strange verse. Sometimes people get a little confused about it. In fact, there's over 40 different interpretations of this little passage. But let me just tell you, I'm not going to go through all of them, and I'm going to touch them. I'm just going to tell you what I think this is. Here's what I think it is. The, the people is the biggest event in their life. They would get saved and get baptized. And when they were getting baptized, here's the early church. Who did, who did, who did Paul say had seen Jesus? The, the, the apostles. Not just the 12 and Peter, but the 500 and the James and even Paul. And people are getting baptized, and I think what they're doing is they're giving a testimony saying, you know what, I heard of Jesus, and I am a fruit of Paul. I heard of Jesus, and, and I'm a fruit of James. One of the 500 comes through, you know, I'm a fruit. And, 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 and that will be a fruit for him forever. So they're being baptized for the honor of, for the sake of, not, not saying, hey, I'm getting saved because I'm getting baptized for somebody else, or they're not getting baptized to get some dead person out of purgatory, or they're not, those sorts of things that people get very strange. I think it's just a very simple. Christians, when they get baptized, are saying, it's like me, you know, I, I say, you know, in my walk, one of the most amazing people who poured into me, none of you have ever met her, was my grandma. Such fruit for her that in her life that was pretty simple and she lived out in the woods and we'd go there every so often and she didn't have a big ministry of preaching or running around, but she loved me with the love of Jesus. It'll be such fruit for her forever. Now, if I say that, but she's dead, and she is, what advantage would that ever, why would I ever say that she's dead? She's not just dead. She's going to be resurrected. She's going to be alive. Saying, hey, you know what? Why would even you would ever mention anyone that was dead about some fruit to their account or how amazing it is that you heard through them except as some distant memory? No, it's because actually you're going to see them again. That's what he's talking about. Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, sisters, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. He says, why am I motivated to put myself in danger because of Jesus? I'm just going to die in a few years and be done. What do I gain, humanly speaking, if I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. The whole thing, you know? I think he's speaking metaphorically here. There's nowhere in the Bible that we have Paul actually fighting beasts or, or, or there being animals, wild animals. But, but there's lots about what happened in Ephesus and the different things that he fought against the world system there. Artemis, the silversmith, different things going on where Paul was beaten and put in prison and terrible hard things. Why? Because he wouldn't let go of the resurrection. He said, my hope is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It's not in all of the good things I'm going to do right now. It's not in all my good stuff because I know there's, my, there's a resurrection. And just by hoping in Jesus, he's making me alive with him.
if there's no resurrection, why wouldn't we just chow down, maximize the now, because this is all there is. If I was going to die, then, then there's no such thing as even thinking about it being valuable in eternity. Don't be deceived, he says. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupors, it's right. Don't go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Fun fact. You know that here, Paul quotes a Greek poet? It's a Greek poet that he's quoting good. Bad company ruins good morals. And the poet's name is Menander. Right? But he's using it in the context of the resurrection. Yes, yes, if you're around people all the time who deny the resurrection, you'll start to absorb their viewpoint. You'll, you'll be like you're drunk. This is the sin that ruins. We all fall into sin in many ways, but, but if you're around people, what you're doing is people that don't care about the resurrection and they're just about the now and they're about the now all the time and their whole framework in life is built on, oh, we got to build up now and build up now and build the little kingdom that's here. You know what? You're going to start living that way too. Don't do it. Are you, are you in a stupor? Don't you see that the very center of our life is that it's about us dying? That means everything you have here is done. And then Jesus raising me from the dead. The resurrection, it is central to our faith. Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is alive. He's alive right now. He's alive. He's coming again, and the good news we heard was from him through Paul and the eyewitnesses because he's alive. And this is the truth, that resurrection is what we're trusting in, that we're trusting in life after we die. We're no longer measurers of goodness here. My hope is in the work of Jesus and the, the promise that he's going to resurrect me. We're no longer desperately trying to accomplish here. Accomplish what? We're doing our very best to tell others about this incredible hope that we have. So, so here's the thing. It's, it's not that we live our way to salvation. You, you, you hear that? Because I feel like sometimes that's the message that you hear and you think you're hearing in the Bible that we're living our way to salvation, that we accomplish the kingdom now, that we hold, you know what? We hold no hope for getting better and better and better and better unto salvation. We hold hope that when we die, God will resurrect us from the dead. I, Shall we? I can't keep going. I got to stop, but I got to share this little piece. You know, one of the things I really like to eat are almonds right now. I'm on this silly diet where you can't eat many carbohydrates, but you can eat nuts. And almonds are one of these nuts. They don't have many carbohydrates. Fun fact, huh? But the reason, so that's the reason I get a whole handful of almonds. You know what I'm looking at those almonds about? I'm thinking, man, if I have 28, it's, I'm still in my diet. So I'm thinking about the content and, and I don't want too big of ones because I'll probably have too many carbohydrates. I want just medium-sized ones so I can have... Re- and I think about, what do I think about with them? I think about what is it that's the content of those almonds. They have a certain amount of fat, certain amount of protein. And I, each one, I chew on it. And I eat it. And it's done. It had value for me. But if I take that little almond 
and I shove it in the ground. Not too deep. What can happen? It can burst forth in a living thing that bears thousands of almonds. That's what he's talking about. Our hope is not that you and I measure each other for the content and value of us here. That somehow we're going to be chewed up and spit out and, and weighed for the content of our bodily analysis or our good works or whatever it is. It's that, you know what, we're going to die and then someone's going to make us live. And the, the, the way that we live will be so different. Our life will be different. We'll look the same. It's a bodily resurrection. Don't get me wrong. He's talking about physical resurrection. But it's a life you haven't thought of. It's a life that's perfect. It's a life with no sin. It's our hope that Jesus is going to do it. And, and by the way, this is the hope of the New Testament. We read one of them this morning. Let me just put them on the wall so we, we're going to be done. This is, this is it. But blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, bless him. Bless him, all peoples. According to his great mercy, his mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he goes on to say, to an inheritance that I'm guarding and keeping for you. And in fact, you're guarded. How? By your trusting that the resurrection from the dead is going to happen. That's it. This is the great hope we have, is that I'm going to be raised from the dead. That's Peter. That's Peter's testimony. The end of Peter, he says, hey, I'm talking to you as an eyewitness. He says, the apostle who saw the living Jesus. And then there's Paul. Here's Paul, just one more time from Paul. He says this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, oh, that I may know him. He's talking about Jesus. And the what? The power of his resurrection. And may share his sufferings. You know, I, I'm, I'm happy to suffer now. Becoming like him, what? In his death. I'm going to die. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is our hope. It's a hope that's totally based in faith because there's nothing I see that says that God after I die is going to raise me from the dead. And yet this is the hope I live in every single day. My only hope is the promise that Jesus will raise me, will raise you. And this hope is lost if I put my hope in me. Because this hope is to the lost, to the sinner, to the one who's unable, because I'm unable to raise myself. It's a hope which flies in the face of this world that measures and strives to accomplish and tries to maximize every single last drop of health and life that it can, and then it can't, and then every single person dies. One pastor said this, and I'll close. Life is a web of trials and temptations but only one of them can ever be fatal. And that is the temptation to think by further, better, and more aggressive living that we can have life. It will never work. If the world could have lived its way to salvation, it would have long ago. The fact that it can only die its way there, it can only lose its way there. For Jesus came to raise the dead. He did not come to reward the rewardable, to improve the improvable, to correct the correctable. He came to be the resurrection and the life of those who will take their stand on a death he can use instead of a life he cannot. If you and I will see our world through our coming death and our real hope in life after death, we're at the message of the gospel.
hey, we're going to be with him forever. Let's pray.